Welcome to Marketing Legends, a program within the WVU Marketing Communications Today podcast series. Marketing Legends features marketing thinkers, innovators, practitioners, and founders, legends of the marketing world, who join co-hosts Cindy Greenglass and Ruth Stevens to talk about their careers and share their wisdom with the marketers of today. Thank you for joining us. Ruth, as chairman and CEO of advertising giant Ogilvy and Mather, Shelley Lazarus has been described as one of the most powerful executives in advertising and one of the top 50 businesswomen. Um, she blazed a trail for so many of us in advertising and marketing. And I think all women in marketing today owe her a debt of gratitude. I am sure that you will agree with me. Indeed. One of only a handful of women to graduate from Columbia University with an MBA in the early 70s. Shelly propelled herself through the corporate world to become chairman and CEO of a billion-dollar advertising agency, O&M, as we have called it. She was encouraged by the legendary David Ogilvy. She became an evangelist for the power of brands and even created an integrated multimedia advertising giant before its time. Mm. You know, we consider her a role model for businesswomen the world over, and, and she was way ahead of her time. Um, Shelley even stressed the need for balance between work and family life here, here. Um, so who better for us uh, to introduce and chat with on the WV? you legends podcast where pioneers go first here, here. it's a pleasure to be here aren't we lucky to have shelly welcome shelly thank you so much for joining us great and i have long wanted to ask you this question what what was it like in advertising in the, in the 1970s? Was it really like the Mad Men show that we've all enjoyed over the it's great. last I get that question so, so often. I love answering it, actually. Uh, well, it uh, Mad Men was sort of like 10 years before I joined. So there was enough evidence to me uh, that Mad Men got it right about the, the 10 years prior. Uh, and the question I always get is, was there really that much drinking and really that much sex? Oh. And the answer, the, the answer was, there wasn't drinking in the office the way they showed it in uh, in Mad Men, but there was a lot of drinking across the street mm. in, in, in the restaurant. And the three martini lunch that was not made up, that, that was true. Oh, yeah, a yeah, lot I... of people never came back to work after lunch. Uh, and, uh, and there were, there was a lot of, there were a lot of relationships that uh, uh, were started and pursued at the agency. So I, I have to say it was, it was a fun time. I mean, it was as much fun as you could have working, I think, uh, as in any industry. Interesting. I, I started my career at Book of the Month Club. And of course, Ogilvy was our beloved agency partner. And I remember the, the bar carts up in the magazine floors at Time Inc. <laughs> that would be rolled around after the deadline closings of various magazine properties. So I guess it was. Well, we were fun. an agency founded by, founded by uh, 
a Brit. Yes. So we used to have a tea cart, actually. We had a tea cart. A tea cart. I love and, it. And Bride, Bridie was the woman who gave everybody tea. So she would come through the agency with a tea cart. Uh, and I guess that was the what she was supposed to have after you had the martinis. That's so wow. charming. Well, you know, following up on that, when you think about the times, you know, we've come so far that it's hard to imagine going back to the in the 70s to what was considered acceptable and and, and what was considered so innovative. And um, at the time, you know, it was said that Ogilvy's choice to reject stereotypes of the pencil thin models, you know, and use more medium sized women in your Dove soap campaign that, mm. that Ogilvy uh, launched was groundbreaking. Um, we, we still struggle with this today. This debate goes on and on, it seems. But can you share with us a little bit of the backstory? Like, how did this campaign come together? And what was that pitch like? <laughs> well, actually, it was started by um, our client at at Unilever, mm. a, a woman named Sylvia Lagnato. And she um, decided that you needed to rethink Dove, a very strong brand, and what Dove uh, meant to women. And we did this you know, fairly straightforward survey. It was a global survey of sort of women's use of health and beauty products. Somewhere in the middle of that survey, and I think it was, I, I always hope that it was an Ogilvy person who suggested this. We just plopped a question that said, do you think you're beautiful? Which, interesting question. When the number came back at 4%, 4% of women in the world think that they're beautiful. I have to, I always say 16% in Brazil, that was the only, uh, right. but, but, you know, and probably right, rightly so. But, uh, but you, we all looked at it and said, if only 4% of women in the world think they're beautiful, then we have to redefine beauty. And who better to do it than Dove, which for its whole brand life had been all about authenticity and sort of you in the best way you could be. So we started on this journey and we came to a, you know, sort of a creative solution that was, we just have to show real women and make women understand how beautiful these real women actually are. And so it took us to a bunch of interesting places. Uh, it took us to have real women in their underwear, um, looking beautiful on a poster in Piccadilly, which sort of stopped traffic literally wow. uh, in London. Because it was, no one had ever shown, you know, like a size 10 woman in her underwear, you know, up on a billboard in, in some form of advertising. We had uh, uh, a billboard in Times Square of a 96 year old woman who just looked gorgeous you know she had all these with all her lines 96 years worth of lines and we actually made it interactive we asked women to vote we asked people to vote beautiful or aged or I, I forget what the alternative was but you know we had almost a hundred percent of people saying beautiful uh. and so you just got people to rethink what is beautiful? And, and we went on from there. I mean, there were lots of different uh, iterations of just showing real women 
and celebrating their natural beauty. And of course, what happened was you, you just needed a little dollop of this kind of approach and the whole world responded and started to applaud and said, right on. And it was the time, you know, sort of the conversations on the internet were, I think, really just starting. And so women all over the world started a conversation with each other about what is real beauty. What a And triumph. so, you know, we, we, we never imagined that we'd get the kind of response that we did, although we were hoping for it. <laughs> but then when we got it, you know, we just kept going and it's going to this day. Right. It sure is. You know, we and we still struggle with it today, as as we see in our media. Um, you know, do you do you have advice for for current advertising professionals today on, um, you know, how to buck social and societal trends, how to make your voice heard? Well, I, I start with the view that there's nothing as powerful as authenticity. I mean, if you just think about the people you respond to, the people you admire, it's, there is an element of authenticity, uh, I think, in, in the center of all of it. And um, so I think if you just sort of keep to that, to that view, uh, I, I think that the most, um, six, not just successful, but successful and happy people in our industry are people who are comfortable in their own skin and that sort of requires an acceptance of who you are and what you believe. And you can't just take your cues from everybody around you. You have to sort of have a sense of, of self and what you believe and what's right. And you have to speak up uh, about things that, that you just think are wrong or where there are stereotypes or, or where there's another view that can be put forward uh, at, for people to consider. Very good advice. I was also thrilled to learn as I read more about your background, Shelley, that you were instrumental in the development of Ogilvy 360. The idea, let me make sure I've got it right, that every touch point that a consumer or business person has with a brand influences their experience and their uh, the the image and and feeling that they have about the brand, now known as customer experience CX, customer experience marketing. At the time, that was really a breakthrough that now has become standard. But could you tell us the story about where that came from? Uh Sure, I'd, I'd love to. It's, um, uh, so there was a time when people would equate uh, brand building with advertising. Right. Is sort of what you needed to build a brand was you needed a new ad campaign. You know, you paid attention to what people were saying in their advertising. It became obvious to a bunch of us that that was one piece of it, but that in fact, there were a hundred other things that build a brand in, in someone's mind, in someone's heart and mind. Uh, and it starts very early on. And um, Charlotte Beers, who was my predecessor, was a great believer in this. And um, she, she got me to see and believe how important uh, it was to sort of start with a brand audit. 
Mm. You know, what are all the points of contact that someone has with a brand that builds a brand? And, you, you know, you start with, um, someone made the observation once, you know, how does Mercedes build a brand? Well, it starts when you're four, year, four years old and you're in your family car and your father has stopped at a stoplight and looks over at the car next to him and it's a Mercedes and he goes, God, isn't that gorgeous? I wish I could have one of those one day. It starts, hmm. you know, sort of, and then you get to the point where you're 50 and you can afford one and you go, God, if I could only have a Mercedes. So, so, you know, you've got to fill in, you have 46 years of impressions that have now been built. Um, and, and I think one of the great journeys that I would go on with a client is to sort of examine every point of contact. I mean, I can't tell you how many clients uh, I've had where they believe that their positioning of their brand is B2B clients, especially, is easy to do business with. Mm. And then you try all the company, you know, and it's just, it's, it, well, it's, it's almost cruel to do it to a CEO because it's often horrifying of, you know, you have a question about something and you get handed off seven times to different people who don't even know what the, you know, where the appropriate place to put you is. So, so once you make these promises, you just have to make sure that it's being, that this brand that you have put forward is being delivered at every point of contact. I, I, I'll just end with the, I, one of the great summations, I think, of brand building uh, was made by Jeremy Bullmore, who recently, unfortunately, just uh, passed away, uh, but he was a great creative director. And he said, people build brands like birds build nests Aww. from scraps and straws they chance upon. And so you have to, it's the scraps and straws. And so I got to the point where it became obvious to me that to really help our clients build brands, we had to help them with each scrap and straw. So we had to help them with packaging. We had to help them with the website. We had to help them with the earned media uh, that they were getting. We had to help them with, you know, I, I've helped clients design their lobbies mm. because this is, you know, space that people come through who are important to you, your employees, your, uh, your partners. And it's just, someone asked me what builds a brand. The answer is everything. Everything. I love that. Thank you. And I'm, I'm guessing that that also expanded the scope of the Ogilvy business value that you could offer and maybe became a new source of revenue. Am I right? Yeah, it was great, but it was all the, the reason it was great was that it was all client directed. You know, so you just you started with the client and the client's brand and you said, okay, what services do we need to provide to build the strongest brand possible? And and so then you launch these businesses based on you know, what clients needed and you had a North star. You, you oh. never lost sight of, you know, what you were doing. So I always say the Ogilvy very early on was a global advertising agency. It wasn't because David Ogilvy sat back and said, God, I think we could make money in India. Uh, <laughs> it was because we had clients like Unilever who were doing business in every country in the world. And they said to us, please do whatever you need to, to help us 
uh, monitor to help us build this brand in every country where we're doing business. And that's how the Ogilvy Empire started, the Ogilvy Global Network. It started with this simple client request. It's Fantastic. so interesting. You know, we, we keep coming back to listen to the client. If you do well by the client, you'll do well for yourself and your business, right? And the farther away we get- yeah, the farther away we get from the customer, the worse it gets, right? <laughs> if we exactly. can stay on this, um, I love your your um, explanation for how, you know, Ogilvy ended up being a global brand. Do you have um, some other anecdotes? You know, Ruth and I and our audience, we just know would love to hear a couple of your favorite war stories um, that you could share from the trenches. Uh, sure, God, there's there are so many of them. Um, you know, I, I think one of the most challenging um, set of issues that I faced when um, I was helping clients build brands globally is sort of finding that sweet spot of you if you want to build and you know sort of um, drive an idea around the globe. You have to start with kind of a core idea, but you have to grant enough freedom that each country, each geography, each culture can take the core of the idea, but interpret it in a way that's powerful for their culture. And um, you get a lot of pushback. You know, people do not want to be told what to do, especially in terms of marketing and especially in terms of creativity. Mm -hmm. And so I have so many stories of, um, you know, clients in different countries pushing back on different aspects. I mean, I, I, I think of, we had a, a um, one hour argument with uh, a client in Italy who did not want to use the sort of global advertising that we had created because he kept saying, our skies, that is not an Italian sky. That is a Scandinavian sky. And, you know, what, what do you say? I, maybe it is. I, you know, my, my point was always, if people are paying that much attention, we probably got them. You know, if we have people who are going, wait, that's not an Italian sky. Uh, so you have something like that with the, with the Dove campaign. I, I kept an email in my desk um, for years from the um, a communications person in Japan who, in a very polite way, said, um, I don't think you understand. In Japan, we don't like fat women. And, you know, you go, uh, okay, who's going to explain to him that the whole idea is these are real women. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're thin or not thin or just, uh, and so you just, you realize going through, and that's where you really need a partnership with your client, because the, the head of the company in France is not going to listen to the ad guy in, in Ogilvy Paris. Hmm. I mean, you have to be hand in hand uh, with the with the person uh, with the the leader of the of the client 
who's going to push back and say, no, for the good of the company, this is what we're going to do. And so, uh, you know, I just have, I have hundreds of those stories. I also have all these stories about dealing with talent and celebrities and you don't always know just from their persona who's going to be easy to work with and who's going to be hard to work with. And it's always a bit of a, uh, of a gamble. Um, but once you're on set, you, you learn that the, some of the people who come across as sort of friendly and lovely are actually not so friendly and lovely <laughs> when, when they're doing, when they're, you know, they're, they're usually doing it for the money, mm. uh, and, uh, and they get to the set and they're a little bit resentful. And so, uh, I, I'm not going to name names, but there, I think people would be surprised and who the good guys and the bad guys are in uh, in terms of being willing to to do great advertising. Mm, interesting. I wanted to change the subject a bit and ask about the role of direct marketing in Ogilvy's history. I remember Ogilvy One, and before that, I think was it ever called Ogilvy Direct? And yeah. Ogilvy and Mather Direct. Ogilvy yes. and Mather Direct. So. I remember when I started my career in, in direct marketing right out of Columbia Business School myself, I was horrified to learn that we direct marketers were considered uh, inferior to brand advertisers below the line. It took me six months to find out what the line was, but um, isn't it interesting how a mere 30, 40 years later, Performance marketing is marketing and <laughs> there's no more line anymore. And it's kind of the revenge of the nerds. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that, Shelley, and how that I developed? Think that's great. So Ruth, I think you and I are aligned on, on this. Um, I, I create, I made some history at Ogilvy because um, I raised my hand at a, a point where I was, you know, doing extremely well at the advertising agency and said that I wanted to go to Ogilvy Direct oh. because this was not something that that people did. I mean, you were trying to go the other the other way. And but I did for a very specific reason. It's I had been the management supervisor on the American Express business for years, which I loved. Great clients. Uh, and um I saw with my own eyes that that there was a direct correlation between the advertising that we were running in mass media and the response rates to the direct response letters that were being sent out. And it it seemed to me that we could get better and better at figuring out how to time all that and how to message that so that one led right to the other. Um, and, and by the way, when we looked at it, even on a you know, cursory basis, we could see a direct correlation between the amount of time that had elapsed uh, for mass media advertising before the mail drop, uh, when there was, and you know, contrast that when there was no mass media advertising. So it, but having said that, the two parts of the marketing mix never spoke to each other. And so I thought if I went over to Ogilvy Direct, I could start to coordinate all this. I could start to at least bring people together to talk about how we might think about fashioning 
a, a program where all the pieces of the marketing mix started to interconnect. And there was a, a rationale for how much, when, uh, what was said. And so I raised my hand and everyone said, fantastic. God, no one ever does that. This is, you know, this will be an amazing thing. And so once again, though, it was client driven. Hmm. It's I, I went because I thought we could really make a difference to the effectiveness of the American Express marketing program. And, and so um, that's what I did personally. The truth is that the reason there was an Ogilvy and Mather Direct in the first place was because American Express needed help doing direct marketing. Ah. So we were the advertising agency and they were sending out letters saying, would you like an American Express card? And the fulfillment desk was literally the um, desk of the secretary to the senior vice president of marketing at American Express. And as we got better at what we were doing in television advertising and other you know, mass, mass um, media outlets, the, the pile on her desk, I like, I like this as a visual, I think the, the, the response like, it just got higher and higher and higher until she sort of yelled, somebody help me. <laughs> and so that's when, because that's when Ogilvy said, okay, I guess we're going to have something called uh, Ogilvy and Mather Direct and we're going to help American Express fulfill the, uh, all the great, applications that were coming boring. in for because her name was it's true, absolutely true. Her name was the signatory on the letter, right? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It was uh, no, it was not. But the fulfillment just hadn't been it. set up. But, is what you're saying? But she was the fulfillment house. Yeah, right? that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Well, having owned a few of those fulfillment houses myself through business, I know that, you know, it's become an unbelievably uh, tech technology driven business. And, you know, you think about the precursors to the Amazons and, and the warehouses and technology on fulfillment. I can't even imagine somebody sitting there and having to open all of that and, and record all of that. And, you know, she, and then she had to. And she had to open the accounts too. I mean, you know, remember when it was when American Express card started out, it was just it was a little thing, you know. It was just wow. sort of here's a membership card. It just uh, yeah. I've also heard stories that Amex in, took many years to even build the systems so that the various cards, gold and green and so forth, could be marketed cross-marketed or or otherwise managed yeah, no. optimally is that right i mean yeah no absolutely and now it's an amazing machine you know an amazing right. system um that also can uh, assess creditworthiness and all, all kinds of things but uh uh in the early days it was just like we have an idea let's see if anyone will respond right well, Shelly, it does seem like you bravely go where no person has gone before often, and uh, certainly no woman seems to have gone before. We call you very brave and courageous and a trailblazer. Um, would you consider yourself brave? I don't know that I'm brave. I'm, um, I, I tend to get passionate about things. And I don't even realize that my passion might be showing through. 
And I, I think it's just, um, you know, I what I believe, I really believe. And, and I'm not afraid to express it. And it, what I found is that that's when people will join with you, you know, because they're sort of, they see the light in your eyes and they think, well, this could, if she believes that strongly, I might go along with this as well. So uh, I would say that you need passion to be brave, I guess. Um, but it, it is, it's not what I would be thinking at the time that I was sort of exhorting people to do something. <laughs> That is such good advice. So adding that to your advice about authenticity and a sense of self, uh, adding the passion idea, I think, is is a, a lesson that we can all learn from you and from your career, Shelley. Thank you. No, absolutely. But I but I also think again, I go back and and say to people, who do you admire? Mm. Who do you follow? Who do you want to be with? And I think there's an element of passion. You know, it's expressed in different ways. You don't have to slam the table and, you know, sort of parade around the room or something. But there, there are people who express passion uh, in, in different ways. But there's got to be something that penetrates, you know, something that says, I really believe in this. I really want to do this. I am committed to this. I'm fully engaged. And then it's amazing how many people will come along with you. Fantastic. You know, that's just a wonderful question that we should ask you. Who do you admire? You've mentioned Charlotte Beers, you've mentioned David Ogilvie and, and a few others. How would you answer that question that you've just brought up yourself? Well, I, I you know, say one of the really great things about my career, one of the great gifts that um, I was given was I have worked with so many amazing uh, people at client companies. I mean, CEOs, chief marketing officers, heads of sales. Uh, you know, there are these great people where at, at every company you go to. And one of the gifts, again, of my career has been I've worked across so many different industries with so many different companies that I have managed to meet the most remarkable people. So, you know, people say, ask me, did I have a mentor? No, I had 150 of them. Wow. You know, it was just, uh, uh, and, and I managed in, in every time I started to work on a new client, I would find people in the client company who I just found compelling and interesting, unusual, uh, thoughtful, and it, it takes a bit of effort, but I, I would seek them out um, and and just get to to talk to them. I re it was a, a a major moment for Ogilvy when we won the IBM uh, account or around the world, and about the third week that we were working on it, I got to meet the guy who is the global head of sales, and I said to him will you have lunch with me once a quarter? Because oh. no one has a better uh, view to what's selling, what people are talking about, what your customers are interested in than you do. And I want to hear it from your lips once a quarter. Uh, and, and so I did, you know, and, and he basically helped teach me the whole 
tech business. Um, and they're, they were like mini tutorials, but, but I did it, you know, in each instance, find some people within the company because they're really interesting mm -hmm. and they will tell you everything you need to know, uh, in any company. That's Fantastic. great. Great advice, Shelly. Wow. Well, Ruth, what do you think? We have time for one more question. It's gone so quickly with you, Shelly, and we're so grateful for all the time you've given us, but I think we have time for one more. Um, I'd love to ask you um, what advice you could give younger women in advertising and communications today. Mm. Well, uh, first of all, I, I think um, they that you have to appreciate how um, interesting what you're doing is. And I'd say from the get-go, if you don't find it interesting, don't stay. Huh. But if you find it, but if you find it interesting, it, you know, pursue it with with passion. I mean, you know, just sort of it's all changing. Someone said to me recently, this is um, no time for people who are uncomfortable with complexity and or ambiguity to be in the advertising business. It's changing so rapidly. It's so complex. There are no, you know, fixed answers, but that's the fun of it. Mm. You know, that's what's interesting about it is you never know the answer. And even if you know the answer, it changes the next week. So that's great. <laughs> um, and so I think you have to applaud that uh, the other, the other thing, you know, I'd say is, is have fun with it. I mean, where in the world can you find an industry that has people who are artists and writers and, uh, and, um, playwrights and screenwriters and novelists, and, uh, they're just the most musicians uh, they're just the most interesting group of people that you can find in in one place. They're wildly creative. You know, one of the things I found is people who are creative, they're creative about everything. They're not just copywriters. They're not just, you know, visual people. It's pick their brains, challenge them in, in all kinds of ways. And that's when you get to the great ideas, the never before been done ideas and that's when you really have the most fun you can have uh, in a professional career. You know, I just, I feel so lucky and so grateful that I found something that I love to do. And I, I love it to this day. I still find it fascinating. Uh, I still love solving marketing and brand problems um, and, uh, to have spent an entire career doing it, the truth is it never felt like work to me. It just felt like something I wanted to do every day and just give me more of it, give me a harder problem, give me some more interesting people. And I, I just keep going on and on. Wow. Thank you so much, Shelley. Well, we are lucky and grateful to have had you uh, join us today. Thank you. A pleasure. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Legends, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. The WVU Reed College of Media's online programs is honored to host these amazing guests. 
who have helped make marketing what it is today. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to hear previous discussions, listen to the Marketing Horizon series, subscribe to receive updates, as well as learning more about the renowned WVU Marketing Communications online programs.